Hey guys, this is Ping. Welcome back.、Um, it's another week and just a little update of my life. It's been exciting recently. I've been starting to write my dissertation on supporting international students in my programs, and I'm gonna expand my research to Colorado and maybe Midwest states、um, in the US. So, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Very stressful indeed, so I'm really enjoying making the time to make my podcast because this is seriously like one of the hobbies right now.、Um, no one can actually just sit there and write dissertation all day, right?、Um, and thank you for listening. I mean, I heard good feedbacks from you guys, and if you know anyone who will be interested to talk about any、uh, minority issues or Um, cultural issues or their, you know, their immigrant life and stories. Feel free to refer them to me. Today the topic is pretty cool.、Um, have you ever thought about someone getting evacuated because of COVID? Cat、um, is one of them, and I get the chance to interview her about her experience in in Korea and also in the midst of、um, the pandemic. And she made her way back home in Texas, and I'm so happy that she's healthy and happy,、uh, finishing school as well. It's just lots of things I never thought about. Like I, I take my safety and health for granted. I probably didn't thank God enough or、um, just think about the whole thing enough. But Cat went through the firsthand experience. Um, booking the last minute ticket from Korea and came back to the U.S. So it's quite a story, and、um, yeah, let's just get started and listen. Oh, one more thing, I am planning to record my narratives episodes. So if there's any questions or any topic you want me to talk about,、uh, feel free to shoot me an email on Instagram or on Facebook. You know how to find me.、Um, Yeah, I am thinking about to talk about my job, my cultural identities, or cultural differences after coming here from Taiwan, and even just you know cross cultural marriage with Louis. Um, it's base it. It's pretty nerve wracking for me because I I don't really get used to talking English alone with a microphone. Um, I teach, so I get interaction, but <laughs> recording. Uh, narration or narrative episodes is definitely nerve wracking for me. So、um, let me know if there's anything you would like me to include. Welcome to Chai with Ping. This is Ping Robert. In this podcast, I cover underrepresented and personal stories. Join me with a cup of chai and take a listen. All right. Any other questions? No. Now let's get started. Welcome back to Chai with Ping. My name is Ping Arbert, and yay! This is another episode, and welcome back. If you like my channel or any episodes, please share with your friends, follow us, and subscribe, and also review me and comment on Apple Podcasts because that's where I can know your feedback.、Um, and also, other listeners when they find my channel, they can also learn a little bit about,、uh, about like the the listeners' feedback. And 
Today, our topic is about Amer- American in Korea. And so she, this, this cool guest, we met in the same university. And then she's a master's student right now at the University of Denver. And she studies international and intercultural communication, which is a super cool topic for me. And she has a focus in agricultural relations and rural development. I have no idea what it means. I'm going to ask her. And so we're just going to welcome Kat McCauley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Thank you, Kat, for coming. I mean, you talked so many interesting things already. I didn't know there was any intersection in your introduction. So international and intercultural communication, agricultural relations, and rural development. It's a mouthful. Hmm. Yes. So before we start with that real topic, (laughs) let's share a little bit about your background, how you grew up and who you are. Yeah. Great. So I feel like that's actually going to explain a little bit of my academic focus as well. So I'm from Texas um, and both of my parents are actually high school teachers. My mom teaches um, high school science and my dad teaches high school agricultural science. And so in the U.S. and and in Texas, especially, that's a huge thing in rural communities is um, a lot of the high schools will have um, one, if not more, high school ag teachers, and they help students kind of learn how to farm, how to raise animals, kind of what career options are in that field. And so I grew up kind of surrounded by that. Um, I think the first animal I got to raise was pig, and I think it was when I was like four years old. So I've I've been exposed to that from a very young age, and it's not just my dad. It's um, my grandfather had a ranch when I was growing up. My uncle was a cotton farmer. My great-grandfather, he worked in the cattle industry at a feedlot. Like, I feel like any part of my family tree I could put on a farm somewhere, Um and so I was kind of always exposed to that. And I really enjoyed it. I, I love being out in the country, on the land, with the animals. I've, I've raised pigs, sheep, goats, cows. I'm currently raising chickens. Um, I call them my nuggets. Ping hears lots of stories. Um, and so it's just something that I always loved. But I really had no desire growing up to actually be on a tractor Um, I like telling stories. I like communicating. And so I really wanted to find a a degree that fit that when I was going into college. And so I ended up picking agricultural communications, which is really about how do we tell the story of agriculture? How do we make it relatable? Especially in the U.S., only 2% of the population is directly involved in agriculture, but food impacts everybody. And so how do we communicate that to the people that it's important to, even if they've never set foot on a farm? And so that's kind of how I got into agricultural communications. But how I got into international communications was um, I went on a study abroad trip with my program, um, my sophomore year of college, to France and Germany. It was only two weeks. But we visited a lot of farms. We visited France and we visited the farms there. We visited Germany. We visited farms there. And kind of as I was sitting talking with these, you know, German farmers, I was like, oh, my goodness, it's not just small rural West Texas, you know, tumbleweeds and cotton. Um, Farming and agriculture really is everywhere. And it's it's such an 
important part of culture and and people's lives. And I just really wanted to look beyond um, kind of where I grew up and look at what that was like around the world and really how how that truly kind of in my my little <laughs> tiny brain back in college, how that connected the world. So um, that's what kind of got me into international communications with a focus in agriculture. So what do people do when they study agricultural relations? Like, how do you want to combine these things together? And I just cannot think it like in an industry who will have this kind of focus and what they will be doing. I, I will be honest, it's a super specialized focus. Um, uh, so kind of one of the first international relations things that I started kind of studying was um when I got into this was the trade war with China that, you know, had started between the U.S. and China and how this, what you would consider this giant nation scale, giant political leader um, issue between the two countries was really impacting small scale farmers. There was, um, I believe, an uptick in farmer suicides in the U.S. because so many of the exports that were sent directly to China were were vanishing. Those exports just weren't there anymore. And so um, internationally, that's that's something you can look at. I've also um, studied how famine is politicized in the media and how that impacts um, aid to foreign countries and in agriculture in regards to aid. I've also looked at agricultural development in regards to a lot of food security um, but also now one of the things I'm studying that I really enjoy is agritourism and how agritourism is not only used to um, showcase and highlight a region's culture through their food and through their farming practices, but also support farmers as development practices lean more towards promoting urban development as opposed to supporting rural communities. Mm. So there's really so many things I could study. And that's kind of why I like it is, yes, it's hyper-specialized, but yeah. if I look at anything enough, it's a giant web and and there's so many things, so many questions you can poke holes in and I have a lot of fun with it. I know. And then like from your sharing, I just thought about two examples that you might be interested in looking at. Maybe the listeners are interested in as well. So when I was in India, after I left in 2016, they, um, Prime Minister Modi, they abolished the, the cash notes. So like overnight. So then a lot of farmers were, you know, a lot of them, they don't have like a permanent address where they cannot open a bank account. So they probably have a stack of cash in there, in their house. Um, so then I heard like on the news that a lot of farmers committed suicide because they could not get their cash exchanged into the, the current uh, bills. So that's one of the things I was just thinking, like how farmers can survive and that kind of development. Because you also mentioned in the U.S. it's only 2%. I thought it would be more. 2% of the people are in agricultural industry. So that that's a lot lower than I thought. But like you guys, you guys, Americans, like produce so much crops and, and like produce vegetables and then kind of send it to everywhere in the country, in, in the world. So that's just fascinating. And agritourism, I think that's also one of the approach that Taiwan is is taking. I'm from Taiwan. Taiwan is a very small country. So then we don't really have that much land. But then instead of you know producing a mass production, 
um, they're looking into, you know, um, is it GMO or it's kind of like they're trying to make the fruits and veggies more and more exquisite in a way or a better quality instead of like a mass production. That, that can be GMO. There's there's a couple mm. different ways to do that. One of them is genetically modifying crops and yeah. then the other is kind of selective breeding. Yeah, um, yeah. And that is just, GMO is just selective breeding with less steps in a lab. So, I mean, there's lots of different ways, but I think yeah. I like the field because there's so many different, you know, subjects and, you know, the U.S. has its own agriculture sector. Taiwan yeah. has its own agriculture sector. Um, and it's just, there's so much to study. Yeah, definitely. So after having this concentration in your studies, how did you decide on studying in Korea? <laughs> There's the question. Um, and so, so when I decided that I wanted to study international agriculture, my, my undergraduate degree really didn't have that. I was like the only student that was like, I want to learn about how Brexit is impacting international farm trade. Um, and so I was like, I need to find a program where I can, I can ask these questions. Um, and so I ended up at the University of Denver. And so with my program, part of the requirements to get my master's is I needed to have two years of fluency in a foreign language. Um, and that was something my undergraduate didn't require. I didn't have to take any foreign languages. Um, I played around a lot on Duolingo for fun. Um, but never anything serious. And so I started looking at ways I could fund um, a foreign language excursion. And so I started looking at fellowships, at scholarships. And so I just started applying. And so I really didn't have a language in mind that I wanted to learn. I mostly looked at countries. And so there were two factors I looked at when trying to consider a country to go to. One is, can I go there for agriculture? Do they have some either unique agriculture system, unique problem to the agricultural sector, um, trade with the U.S.? Um, and so that was question one. Second question was, <laughs> will I be healthy in this country? Um, so I actually have a chronic condition called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And part of that is I am incredibly sensitive to heat. I, I get really sick if it's very hot out. That's why I, I tried to get out of Texas as quick as possible. I love Texas, but it's too hot for me and how I ended up in Colorado. Um, and so I, I basically had two lists. I'm like, okay, countries with agriculture, countries that I know have a very cold winter. I mean, they may have a summer, but they have a cold winter. And so like I started crossing off the list and kind of the Venn diagram ended up as Korea. And so I, I was kind of excited about that. I really didn't know much about Korea. Um, I had some friends from Korea back when I was really little that they did like an exchange program with us and uh, our neighbor. And so we had Christmas together. That was all I knew about Korea. As I met girls when I was 10, we had a great time at Christmas. That was it. That's all I knew about Korea. <laughs> and so I started applying to these programs and I ended up getting a fellowship to go over there. And I was like, yes, I am on board. I have not eaten Korean food. I, I don't know much about anything other than the ag system that I've done research on, but let's do this. So that's kind of how I ended up in Korea. That is so interesting. You're so driven and I kind of, you're very clear on your goals. And it's just like all the research that I'm, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm type A to a fault. <laughs> so, but then, uh, have you learned any other languages before Korean? I've studied some languages, but not as intensely as I have with Korean now. 
Um, when I was little, um, I, you know, I, my mom tried to teach us a little bit of sign language to, you know, just mm. to keep us kind of engaged mentally um, and help with development. I had to take Spanish in high school. I, mm -hmm. I did not like it. They tried teaching us with crossword puzzles. My brain does not process languages <laughs> through crossword puzzles. Um, I, I visited Israel with my mother when I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. 11, 12, I can't remember. Um, and I tried studying a little bit of Hebrew before I went. Um, when I went to Germany, I you know played around a little bit with German. Um, so I had fun, but never actually intensively studying a language with the end goal being fluency. Um, Korean was was the first with that. And so you started at, them, uh, at DU? I did start at DU. I kind of did what I knew. I hopped on Duolingo. I hopped mm -hmm. on a couple other free language apps. I yeah. found some flashcard sets on Quizlet yeah. um, and just tried to teach myself what I could. I, I started like aggressively listening to k-pop and watching k-dramas because i was like i need to learn yeah this is not fun like here i am like dissecting like okay i've got to listen um yeah. i treated everything very much like a research project mm -hmm. um but even by the time i got to korea my my fluency was bare minimum before i before i went to korea i had to get like exit tested for my fellowship yeah. mm -hmm. and so there was this lady on the phone asking me like questions in korean and i didn't even know how to say like i don't know i was just like oh my so god sorry. i don't i don't know anything and she's like well you're you're a zero you're, you're at a zero level and i'm like i expected that that's okay okay oh so you didn't take any korean class here at du no du doesn't offer any korean at least they didn't at the time yeah uh, they have they offer Rosetta Stone kind of For through free, the library, yeah. Yeah. which I hopped on a little. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really, I tried a little, but I also knew going in that I was going to be low level fluency. Yeah. I knew some of the other people who'd received the fellowship that I had met up with um, and they had all studied Korean. I was the only one going in blind. <laughs> um, <gasps> so, yeah, so I was going in very, very like I had zero experience with the lip near zero experience with the language got it before we jump into a career experience yes. so then so you can i ask about the fellowship is it a specific program for students going to korea or it's just like from your school yes so through the international school at du they they offer a lot of you know they don't offer fellowships through the school but they offer a lot of help getting fellowships so the fellowship I received was the Boren Fellowship, which is actually hosted or held through the U.S. State Department. And the goal is to find students with an interest in um, security, um, with the end goal being to work for the State Department or the CIA or something like that. How I managed to get in there with a focus in agriculture and agriculture security, you know, food security, who knows? I don't know. Um, there was there was about three of us. They they flew us out to DC for like the training, and it was so funny. There was all like the kids that wanted to be CIA, and there was about three of us that were all interested in agriculture. Um, I was going to Korea. Someone else, I believe, she was going to Kenya, and then someone else was going to India. We all just sat there and we're like farming, farming cows, crops. Cool, yeah. <laughs> Nothing that much about national security, right? <laughs> no, we were like, oh, oh, yeah. We were all talking about like crazy theory, you know, and it was it was so funny. They had a um, 
a, someone from the FBI come and present to us about like how to avoid getting um, wrangled into, you know, spying schemes and things like that, how not to be, you know, recruited. Um, and they're like, you don't have to make up your major if your focus is like international security. You don't have to be like, well, I'm studying cow farts and methane. And we're all sitting there. Like, Those are all very serious issues. <laughs> So cool. I don't know how, how I got in there, but yeah. I wasn't the only one. So, Got it. Do you have a timeline for that kind of scholarship if anyone's interested? Like when do you usually apply and how much do they sponsor you and what are the requirements? I, I don't know the deadline. I believe it actually just passed. I know when I applied, the deadline was in February. Um, so I would assume that's the same every year. Um, I don't know how much they sponsor, but I know that it's for, for graduate students, I believe the maximum is $24,000 and I know undergrads is slightly less. Um, but the, the big thing with this fellowship scholarship is where some programs, they go over and they place you in a university and they say, you're going to leave on May 15th and get back on, you know, this date. The thing with this program was you had to pitch your entire program. You had to pitch when you wanted to leave, where you wanted to go. Um, you had to do all the legwork yourself. You had to be like, I'm going to live here. This is the budget. Um, so it's a somewhat intimidating process. I actually almost didn't apply for that reason. Um, but after um, stress dreaming that I really needed to apply for it, I applied for it and got it. So, um, but that's that's the big thing with this program is that they kind of, throw you to the wolves a little bit like they, they prep you but they're like you're gonna do it on your own we're gonna make sure you're good you <laughs> here's the money sink or swim yeah, yeah, yeah oh that's very cool yeah we will put some more info in the episode notes um when did you go to korea so i left for korea i believe january 10th 2020 a great time to leave <laughs> That was the time that Asia was already panicking because of COVID. I think I think I got there right at the beginning of the panic. So yeah. I, I got there very beginning of January, January 10th, maybe a little late. I left very beginning of January um, and I landed in Korea. I was I was really jet lagged for about a week and did not leave my apartment. And I, I left the apartment after that weekend feeling good. Everything was pretty normal. And then all of a sudden, like, we started getting communications from like my school in Korea and all these other things to be cautious as Lunar New Year approaches, mm. as there is this virus and you're going to want to be safe. And so I feel mm. like I got one whole weekend in Korea before I started Everything getting yeah. messages about, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Oh, it wasn't no. even COVID back then. It was a virus. Yes, yes. Actually, so the month before, so it, 2019 December I was back in Taiwan and I already heard about this virus from Wuhan and then so like they said that um there are many people dying or sick but like at during that time no one was taking paying attention on all that but by the time I came back in January and I was like no one knows about this but then March it kind of had the outbreak well how was your experience so <laughs> this <laughs> this is not really a good time to be in a foreign country especially in Asia because he started um, but like, how was the experience there in general I I feel like I, I feel like I'm gonna put a giant asterisk next to everything I say I loved it but I was also there in the middle of the pandemic so I don't know really if my experience was true to what it normally is um 
<laughs> Sorry, listeners. Cats. Is that a cat or a that's dog? My that's my cat. That's the cat just came into our recording in the middle of it. So he 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 she just want to say hi. Yes, this is the second cat that's that's interrupted our Zoom calls today. The other I one know. interrupted earlier today. So no worries. They just Keep really love you, Ping. They just really I, love you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think what what's so special about your story it will be, you know, we don't capture everyone's stories like all along, but like in in the whole journey, you start you just started in the middle of the pandemic. Well, in the beginning of the pandemic. So then your story is still very valid. It was it was a weird time, mm. um, but I, I really did love it. Like. Um, it was, it was a lot. Obviously I didn't know the language. I knew it was going to be really hard. Um, I knew that I was going to be really challenged because I didn't know the language. Um, but I, I really enjoyed being there. I loved going to my classes. I loved learning the language. I loved, um, I ended up going to a church there, um, and getting plugged in and connected kind of before everything had to go online. Um, and so the little bit I did have while I was there that felt you know, quote unquote, normal-ish, um, I really did enjoy. Like, I remember I would just walk around the streets and I'd be like, I really love it here. Albeit, I was only there two months. So I don't know if I ever really truly got out of that like rosy-eyed um, stage of travel. Um, I never actually feel like I got to live like through the nitty gritty day to day. But I really did enjoy it. You say you were there for two months. What happened after that? <laughs> what changed? <laughs> what changed with the two months? Um, yeah. So I finished my my two weeks of language classes because um, I was I, I was going to join kind of the larger kind of the regular semester, um, but I just kind of was going through like the beginning crash course. Um, so I, after I finished that, um, I started getting communications from UL Women's University saying, "Hey." term has been postponed. We will keep you updated. And so that was a bit of a red flag. And then um, at that point, our fellowship had pulled all the students from China because the fellowship goes everywhere. So you kind of just apply to the language. And so they had already pulled all the fellows from China. Um, and so all the Korea fellows, we were talking and it was just like this, we were just waiting for the other shoe to drop because at, even at that point, I think I think there was a consensus of <laughs> we're going to be next. Like we're, we're going to be the next one. At that point, there was a moderately large outbreak in Daegu. Um, and so even though we were in Seoul, um, we're like, we're going to be the next ones to get pulled. And so at one point we got an email saying for all the undergraduates, it's mandatory that ev you evacuate for the graduate students. It's at your discretion. Um, and about three or four days after that, they were like, just kidding, grad students, you have to evacuate now too. Um, and so I really wasn't there very long um, before my in-campus school, my, my Korea school um, was like, nope. And then my fellowship was like, nope. So I got evacuated. Oh, wow. What is the rationale behind evacuation? I, I've been thinking about that lately because i've been listening to different stories i don't understand why they have to evacuate you guys 
Is it for like, is it safer to be here in the US? <laughs> I think that's what they were thinking, but I don't, right? I, I can't, I can't explain truly the rationale. I think yeah. part of it is liability. They are mm. liable for us. Okay. Um, and part of it is we're foreign language students. Like, yeah, some of us know the language, but if I had gotten sick and got COVID mm-hmm. and ended up being like super sick, which with my medical conditions was a huge concern for me. Yeah. Um, I don't speak any Korean. Yeah. Um, what are they going to do with me in the hospital? Like explaining, you know, so like, I think, you know, there was that concern about liability. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I think they wanted us to be safer in the U S yeah. um, which makes me think. Um, so at that point when I was evacuated, my parents were telling me cause they were at home watching the news. Um, and they're like, Oh yes, we are screening everyone who comes in through the U.S. internationally and are taking their temperatures and asking them all these questions. I get evacuated. I go through, you know, customs, you know, no questions, nothing, zero. It was harder for me to get into the aquarium in Seoul, which I went to one day, than it was for me to get into the U.S. coming from a hot spot. Oh, no. When did you come back? I came back at the very beginning of March. Okay. So um, kind of right when everything went crazy everywhere, but I just, so. Was it easy to get a flight ticket? No. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that? (laughs) Yes, I will. Um, So when I got my first, the first email saying, oh, it's, it's mandatory to evacuate. I was like, no, it's going to be, it's going to be, or it's, it's optional to evacuate. I was like, no, it's going to be mandatory here in a week. And so I went ahead and booked my flight. Um, I didn't book it immediately. I was like, I'm going to milk this for as long as possible. Like they tell me I'd have to be out by this day. I'm going to be out by the day before, you know, um, even though I mostly just sat in my room during that time, uh, <laughs> everything was closed. So <laughs> I, I booked my flight and it was about three days before my flight. And I'm, I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm a bit of an insomniac anyway. I just was stressed. And so I woke up in the middle of the night. I looked at my phone to check to see what time it was. And I see an email and I look at the email. It's from my air, the, the airline company. I click it. That says your flight has been canceled. All flights are canceled from Korea to the U S from this date onward. And my flight was after that date. So, and that, that date was tomorrow. Like it was the tomorrow of when I was waking up. And so it was like two in the morning and so I'm panic calling my mom. It's normal time there in the U.S., but I'm panic calling her. I'm like, hey, um, I've got to come back ASAP. They've canceled all these flights. So I, I immediately get on and book a flight for that day. I panic pack the rest of my room in the middle of the night. Like it was already halfway packed. But I'm like shoving things into suitcases. And then like I collapse on my bed for a few more hours and then wake up and go to the airport. What? And then did you get to say goodbye to anyone? So thankfully I'd already kind of said goodbye to mm. some people. Yeah. Um, a lot of my, like I, I had had dinner with my church friends like the Thursday before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, I'm flying out this next week. They're evacuating me. You probably won't see me again. Um, so thankfully I had gotten to say goodbye to some people. And since my classmates, we were, it was only a two week class period. A lot of them had already flown back. So like, thankfully they had already kind of known, but it was, the weird thing at that point, it wasn't a goodbye. It was a see you later because the communication I was getting from my fellowship was, 
oh, um, once this clears up, our goal is to send you back in August. And so it was like, oh yeah, I'm so sad, but I'll be, I'll be back in August. It's okay, I'm missing summer. I don't like summer anyway, it's too hot. Um, <laughs> I'll see you guys in fall. So it was, wow. it was a little weird, just yeah. that mentality of, oh, I'll, I'll be back. So, yeah. but then who knows, right? Who knows? Who would know that it's going to last more than a year right now sitting 2021 March. Wow. It's been a year. How was the uh, situation before you left? Are, so are the people required to wear masks or everything's online? Because you met your church friends. So I guess it's, it was not that bad. So it definitely changed while I was over there. Mm -hmm. um, for my language class, it was mandatory mask all the time, um, which was such an adjustment at that point because I feel like now I'm so used to wearing a mask and I'm so like, I have to wear it perfectly. I have to make sure, you know, my nose is covered and everything's sealed. But at that point, like, I don't think I knew, I don't know if anyone knew, but I didn't know how airborne it was. And so I was like, oh, if I just don't touch my face, it'll be fine. So I didn't wear my mask a lot of places, which is so bad in hindsight. I just, I wore bright red lipstick because I was like, if I don't touch my face and I don't touch my face when I wear lipstick, then I'll be good. Um, so that was, oh, <laughs> Dr. Fauci would be so sad with me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Thank you for taking us back to that, you know, that, time a year ago and i just cannot imagine like how fast all the international students have to be evacuated and fly out of korea whoa okay and then so everything was like normal in the states mm, in in, <laughs> in the states or korea because i it was i definitely it went from normal to not normal very quickly i feel yeah. like yeah um I remember like after spring break, do you just call it off like everything online? And then I think even just bef right before spring break la last year, I think, yeah, they were saying that, you know, we should be careful and don't go out. And then there was a lockdown in, mm -hmm. in March. So I, I, I flew back um, right before the lockdown, like the big lockdown hit um, because yeah. my that was the spring break for my family. My parents both had spring break and my brother mm -hmm. did from his university. Yeah. And so my mom actually flew to with my grandmother to go, I believe, to the Dominican Republic. And when they got back, like it was it was much crazier. And then from like that point onward, it was like, oh, schools are shut down. And like, you know, it was so there was not only a chance of me possibly getting shut out of the country. My mom almost got out of the shut out of the country. Um, so and then from that point onward, we just hung out at our house. Um, I got my chickens. That was my my quarantine present after successfully completing a quarantine, which I was not asked to do at the airport. I did of my own free will. Um, I went out and I got got my little my little chickens, my little chicken nuggets as a reward yeah. for not bringing a pit, you know, the disease back to the U.S. That's so cool. Do you have any other animals in, in your is it a yard, a farm or something that you have? So I keep, I keep my chickens up at the school farm, which kind of my dad helps mm -hmm. maintain because he's the teacher um, yeah. and I actually share them with like one of the high school students. She has her chickens and her ducks in there too. Um, so Aww. we kind of like co-parent our chickens. Yeah. Um, so it's up at the school farm. So they're not in our backyard. Um, they're with a bunch of other animals that students own. So they have plenty That's of good so company. Cool. So cool. Let's talk about Korean. I mean, 
you transfer from in-person classes in Korea, I mean, in the first language environment, then now to a foreign language environment. And then I, I heard that you took, I don't know, lessons, modules on Rosetta Stones and everything is online. How is that experience? It was a weird transition. I'm so glad that I did kind of my beginner level in person, um, especially in Korea at a university that is really well known for having good language instruction um, because I was able to build a good foundation. I, I'm making sure I'm pronouncing um, kind of the basics correctly and then understanding that and building from that. Um, Rosetta Stone, I have a mixed relationship with. I So I ended up doing that, getting special permission to do that instead of um, going back to Korea just because of the situation um, and the fact that I'm graduating in June, there's no way I could go back at this point through the fellowship. Um, and so I pretty much only focused on Rosetta Stone for a while um, because it was my degree requirement. And so I, I think that was what really got me was it's a good tool, but it shouldn't have been my only tool. And also there's, there's no real substitute for speaking to a real person. Um, when it comes to speaking practices, yes, I can speak to the, you know, the voice recognition software and it can grade me and it can tell me, oh, yes, I understood that. Um, but it's it definitely didn't help me any when it came to pronunciation and really growing my confidence in that. And it also came to the point where I was better at approving, you know, taking the Rosetta Stone test and, you know, that I was actually learning Korean. Um, so now I've actually registered for another class. I'm doing it online, but it is with real people. And so I'm so excited to be learning with people again um, and just continue chipping away at my learning progress. Awesome. Do you have any tips for people who are learning Korean like you? Number one is, is take advantage of the resources. That's the wonderful thing is kind of thanks to the Korean wave and K-pop and K-drama. There's such an interest in learning Korean that there's so many resources for it. Take advantage of that. Know that the Korean language isn't all K-pop and K-drama, that there's a lot more to the language and the culture than that. But take advantage of the resources that come through that. And then also just have fun with it and, and enjoy it. And don't, don't only use one resource. I love Rosetta Stone and I'm very glad that I've been able to do that. But I definitely think it's better to diversify your studies than have them go stale. Um, so that's really my main advice is take advantage of the resources. Don't use only one resource and just have fun with it. Yeah. So you're saying having fun. I think you resonate with another guest that I just did. And she mentioned she learned Japanese and Korean. And she just loves Japanese because of the dramas and TV shows. Do you find dramas or TV shows to watch? I watch I watch K dramas on Netflix. There's okay. there's a lot of good K dramas on Netflix. Um, I also my mom loves BTS, like these BTS armies. So one thing that we've been doing during the pandemic is we'll watch like interviews and music videos at night. Um, and even though I know I'm not going to learn, you know, become fluent in Korean um, by watching BTS. It's a fun way to do it and also a fun way to be like, oh, oh, I know the word for people now. I know the word for people. I remember the first time I, I recognized the word for winter. I got so excited. Yes, it's just like those little progresses. I make us so excited and just happy to keep on learning. So I have a question, Kat. How do you watch K-drama to improve your language learning? So I watch K-dramas and movies. I, you know, I, I love, love a good Korean zombie movie. Um, 
So I'll watch those and I'll watch those with the subtitles and kind of my goal is to find phrases that I am familiar with or words I'm familiar with. Um, but the one thing I did in Korea a lot because I couldn't really go out because of the pandemic was I actually sat and watched a lot of TV. Um, one of the things I did was I would watch children's shows or movies, a lot of Disney movies, a lot of Pixar movies, movies I was familiar with and the words they were using um, from just my own experience. And I would switch the audio to Korean. And so I wouldn't be watching, you know, Finding Nemo and they'd be like, oh, chase after the boat, chase after the boat. But it would be in Korean. So even though I didn't know exactly what they were saying, I, I could listen um, with something I was familiar with. And I want to start doing that again. I just know I need to get a VPN. And if you have a VPN, you can switch your country of origin. Um, and so I need to do that so I can hop back on Korean Netflix and watch, you know, Finding Nemo on Netflix again. Yeah, I think I heard this this tip before. Yeah, I think listeners can also find resources on YouTube. A lot of them are probably like small pieces of some drama. But yeah, just learn like a kid. Thank you so, so much, much for sharing. You're welcome. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I believe just kind of sums up my approach to language is, is it's a quote by a German philosopher. I do not remember his name, but it is the limit of my language means the limit of my world. And so I just, the more I learn and the more I get exposed to Korean or other languages, because I do, I do still like <laughs> learning about other languages, even if I'm not trying to become fluent, I think it just opens up kind of my perspective on the world and, and gives me a window into other people's cultures and other people's lives. And I just think there's something so special about that. Before we end, is there anything else you want to share? What's next for you? What's next? <laughs> that's that's the question. Well, I graduate in June and I'm super excited for that. Um, right now I am trying to go back to Korea. I think that whole mentality of, oh, I'll be back is both really good and also kind of just, I can't let go of that idea of, I want to be back. I want to try my hand at living abroad because I, I really was only there for a glorified vacation. I want to try to see if I can survive abroad if I can if I can make a life abroad and so I would love to go back I'm applying to teach English um, and just see where that takes me but honestly it's it's COVID season it's still it's still COVID season the pandemic's still going so I'm I'm trying to make plans and also be okay if they change so that's what's next so if you're staying in the U.S. have you thought about plugging in into the Korean community um, I would like to, I just, I, I'm, I know right now I'm, I'm still kind of in a rural area of Texas, um, that does not have much of that. Um, so if I end up getting a job somewhere in a larger city, which I would like, if I stay in the U S that would be something I would definitely be interested in doing. Um, but for right now, my main point of social point of contact is in fact, my chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have to put the pictures on. That's so cool. And so listeners might not know. I just before the interview, I saw Kat's picture. So she took a picture of his chicken's birthday gift. It's just so cute. They're spoiled. <laughs> so if if you're willing, we can share it out on Instagram oh, yes. or I, our I Facebook. Love sharing pictures of my nuggets. They're yes. spoiled. They're kind of ugly looking. So they, cute. They, they're little, little monsters, but they're spoiled. Yeah. 
<laughs> so stay tuned, listeners. The picture will be up as soon as this episode is on. Um, so if listeners have resources to share with you, or they have questions to ask you, how can they find you? Um, they can email me. My mm-hmm. email is Catherine K A T H R Y N dot G A Y dot Macaulay M C C A U L E Y at gmail.com. Cool. I'll also put it in the episode notes. Cool, cool, cool. This is really fun talking with you. And thank you so much, Kat, for coming to my show. Yes, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. Thanks for listening to Try With Ping. If you think someone will benefit from this episode, don't forget to share with them. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you like my show, you can buy me a chai with small gifts. Details are in the episode notes. Till next time!